uh, if you'll notice on your uh, outline here, on finishing up this uh, section on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think, as I'd said before earlier, that I think, uh, I'm going to give you a slide here, right here, and then I'll go back. Um, one of the things that it seems like over time, thank you, Daryl, is that it's hard to keep balanced in our understanding of the Holy Spirit's work. I'd said a couple weeks ago, and if you're interested, you can hear this on the, on the slide or hear it on the recording, that the Holy Spirit sometimes is so difficult for us to bring balance in our own understanding. I'd said before that it seems to me that there are groups of people that believe that the single manifestation of the Holy Spirit is a personal presence, like you sense Him walking with you, you know? Like you'd say, the Spirit spoke to me or something like that. And, and that's important. Uh, but what happens is because we can't get balanced on this, we build entire denominations around that particular expression of the Holy Spirit. Whole, whole denomination. It's called mysticism at times. Sometimes it's deeper work. And, and then there are other groups that say, no, 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 you've missed it. The, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is for proclamation, to witness to people. Those are called Baptist. <laughs> right? You go to a Baptist church, man, it's just as I am every time you're just there. <laughs> and, that's, and that's important. I mean, I'm not denigrating. I'm just saying... They kind of said, you know, the, no, no, the ministry of the Holy Spirit really needs to be emphasized in the area of witness. Well, that's true. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, right? Then there are other people that, that saw that the important matter about the Holy Spirit was for power or for gifted ministry. You know, and, and, and instead of taking the presence and, and instead of taking proclamation, we're just going to build it around that. And sometimes, I'm, this is a gross generalization, Okay. But, but in, in general, I mean, <clears throat> we would think of lots of charismatic churches that think gifts and expressions and like that are, are what it's all about. And then finally, the group I grew up in, uh, the Church of God, or, uh, they said, no, 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 you guys are missing it, that the Holy Spirit, remember, He's holy, so we're going to build a church around holy living. As I said before, we, we were always concerned we were holy. We didn't care if anybody else went to heaven, you know, it was just us. <laughs> now, I say that because you can see these tendencies in churches and denominations that can't seem to get the balance on it and say, we need them all. And that's what we've kind of been working on. I'm thinking as Deborah's talking, some of us, I think, think that uh, the only way a mission can begin is some extravagant, you know, incredible kind of event. I'll tell you, that mission that started down in Roatan, started because a couple in our class went on a vacation and stopped off on a boat ride and saw an area and came back and said to some friends, you know, there's, there's some needs down there. Maybe, maybe we ought to look into this. So they took another vacation. Isn't it great to start ministries on vacations? <laughs> I think I need to start a, va- a ministry in Hawaii. I'm really feeling led. Don't you? Amen. Can I get a witness here? Right. I need to get a witness here. Yeah. I need. Yeah. Uh, so, so they go back and they begin to see. And what I'm trying to say is this. We have such an unbalanced view sometimes of how the Holy Spirit leads us. That we think it's some vision or some big cataclysmic thing. You know what it was? It was people going on a vacation. And they just saw something. And they thought, well, maybe we can do something. And it started small. And it began with a couple that twisted uh, 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 Deborah's arm to go down there. 
and all of this happened. I thought, you know, we're so imbalanced. We're, we're sitting here thinking, well, I could never do that. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we could. If we had a balance and understanding of the Holy Spirit that it's not all cataclysmic, it's all not all these monstrously big events. It's just being led by the Spirit as we understand. And you know what? I think it's just the next step. Now, that's, none of this is my notes, so i got to hurry. But, but, but it's the next step. It, this, this wasn't some you know, Damascus Road event. And so I think sometimes we get imbalanced not only with the Holy Spirit and His work in our life, but we get imbalanced in how is God going to use me? Now, all I have to say this. Here we go. And I've got this picture. We're going to go back and forth on this. You'll notice here, uh, I, what I'm working on, trying to work on here, is the idea of balance. This is balance rock in the Garden of the Gods, I, I told you. I'm kind of using that as an image that we want to work on that this idea of trying to find some balance in our life, to find some way in which we can live out this life of the Holy Spirit where it isn't this or that, it's this and that. So here we go. I'm going to begin again. Um, I said before, and I want to keep uh, working this, this is the uh, image of the church calendar, the church calendar. And you'll notice here on the right corner there, uh, Pentecost, as we've said before, if you listen again to the recordings, I would suggest that Pentecost is the goal of all of God's activity. After the cross and after the resurrection, Jesus does not dispatch his disciples. He tells them to wait. You're not ready. And so Pentecost should become that symbol and understanding of God's final act to enable us, to empower us, to give us what we need in order to be the people of God that we need to be. I'm, I'm happy for Christmas. I love Easter. But I think we need to reemphasize and refocus our attention to understand that God's work is finally completed when we experience Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, where now the Spirit of God resides in people, not places. Okay? That's an important distinction. So, we looked at it. So, the Holy Spirit, I think, is the least understood member of the Trinity and the most needed for daily living. That's my assessment. I just think the Holy Spirit is the least understood member. I think that's on your outline, is it? It is? Yeah, okay, good. I haven't taught in three weeks like that. I can't remember who I am today. That it, He is the least understood. And I think that's why often we just back up. And instead of lean in, to say, what is it about this event of Pentecost? What is it about this understanding of the Holy Spirit's empowering that becomes necessary for daily living? So we said last time we were together, and we're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's your, that's your topic there. I'm running here, getting going here a little bit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, we're we're going to work through this in this. That the gift of the Holy Spirit is experienced in presence. In presence. Now, Last time I taught, which was three weeks ago, I just want to remind you, that presence of the Holy Spirit, we talked about, you know, churches are built around that. It's important. That presence is generally understood as comforter. Comforter, John 14. That presence, comforter, one called along to your side. The other one we talked about was guide. That presence, all those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the Children of God. You can go listen to the recording, Romans 8, 14 and following. That the, the balance of experience in the Holy Spirit must be this internal presence, an understanding of that, so that we're led by the Spirit, we're comforted by the Spirit. Jesus also said in John 7, 37, this internal presence, that he would become the source of living water, 
that flows out of our very inner being. He said, he who believes in me from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So the presence of comforter, the presence of guide, the presence of living water. Now, I don't know about you, but I still have a spatial. Now, now my good friend Wayne Bolenbacher thinks I'm just from Texas. You're spatial. No, that's it's a different. <clears throat> no, no, <clears throat> that's not the word. That's not the word. You're spatial. When he says that, I know you, you got two meanings on this. <clears throat> uh, spatial meaning, where is God in relation to me? I still am afflicted, I think, at times with a powerful notion that he's out there and I'm here. Anybody with me? I I don't understand this completely. It's a mystery. But the the spatial dimension of understanding that God's out there instead of in here. I I don't know what's really related to that. I don't know why, but I talk to people and I think they have the same sense. And Augustine or Augustine, wherever you're from, said, when you look for God, look inside. When you look for him, don't look out, look inside. I, I don't know, but, that, but that's, a, that's an important distinction for me because I'm, I'm like this grasping kind of thing instead of saying, look, you're, you're here. You're present. You know, the book of Revelation says the dwelling place of God is now among people. Where does God dwell? In people. And so we, we understand this presence. Now, I told you, and this is why I'm trying to do the bound. The, the, there's a problem, or can be, an overemphasis on this piece can lead to mysticism towards all how I feel and all how I, how I you know, deal with on the inside. And some of, I've told you before, some of us, I don't feel close to God very often. You know, I just don't. I don't know what I feel sometimes. <laughs> I don't feel, I, I, and other people seem to just say, oh boy, I just feel, I go, great. But that overemphasis becomes too mystical towards all about how I feel. Instead of, who's here? Now, the underemphasis of it is rationalism, where all I do is I have the right ideas. I just know all the scripture verses. And that's a tough balance for us to have. I tend toward rationalism by my very nature. I think some of that because I don't have a lot of feelings. I have, it's right here, right there. Tell my students it's right here, don't mess with it. But rationalism is where I'm drawn, just get all the right ideas. And so I just want to suggest that, that part of this understanding of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go. The second one here is power. Now, the New Testament is clear that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is typically, maybe, if you will, understood uh, in, in several passages. And I'll, I'll have you look at it here just uh, uh, quickly. Go to your table of contents here. We'll look at this on this uh, matter of power. If you'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, my Bible, it's page 1085. 1085. And then go to chapter 12. Here we go. Um, verse, we'll look, start here at verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries or workings, is one of the Greek ideas here, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects or results or consequences, but the same God who works all things 
in all. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so this notion of the work of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for power or for ministry. There are other verses you can look up here, but notice here what he says. There is a variety or a variety of gifts, empowerings. Uh, that word there is charisma or uh, charismata or grace gifts, gifts that are given for service, for ministry. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects. It's not all the same. It's not all cookie cutter. You know, that's part of the problem sometimes when we get involved with the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Somebody has an experience and guess what they're going to do? Make everybody have the same one. <laughs> Been there? Yeah. I had this experience. You better have this experience or you're not dealing with the Spirit. This is why it's interesting as my research with John Wesley. John Wesley, I've heard of him, right? I think I've talked to him a couple of times. <laughs> Put your hand over your heart when I say that. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> John Wesley told people in the revival in England that when they experienced God's presence, Holy Spirit in their life, he talked about the, the we'll, we'll talk about it later, but, but, but the idea of loving God with all your heart, that you should testify to it. He demanded, he said, you, you must testify to this. When God strengthens you and, and cleanses your heart by faith, you have to testify about it. He never did. I have a theory. He knew everybody would try to replicate it. He knew everybody, the way we play mimicking, that if this is what happened to John Wesley, boy, I better have the same thing happen, right? But there are varieties of gifts and varieties of ministries and varieties of effects, all of these, if you will, for the good of ministry to have power for service. Let me tell you, I, I think this is the really missing piece. I'll talk to you in a minute about this, but... I think some of the reasons some of us don't sense our need for the Holy Spirit, we, we don't have a real sense of that need because we're not really involved in ministry. Listen, there's nothing that'll convince you of your need for God and His power than real ministry to real people who have real problems. You ask Deborah, does she need the power of the Holy Spirit? You ask Marty. Nah, don't ask Marty. Nope. <laughs> you ask Marty. You ask anybody in this room. I mean, many of you are involved in ministry. Ask, ask Sharon. Ask Doug. Listen, the reason we don't sense the need for power is because we don't need it. I've been, you know, when I have time off in the summer, God has a tendency to get a hold of me. <laughs> He's been working me over. I want to go back to school. <laughs> about how I've tried to control everything in my life. I confessed him this morning in prayer. I've trusted insurance more than I've trusted you. That's sad. You should get another Sunday school teacher. <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, we don't have any sense of need for power because we don't need any power to do anything. I dare you. Don't, you don't have to go start a mission in Royal Tan. If you want to go to Hawaii with me, I'm, I'm willing to take you. But. <laughs> hey, listen, even if we had a ministry in Hawaii, we would run into things and situations where we knew the power of God has got to come through. You know, it took me a few years to figure this out, even in teaching. I thought I could just, you know, overwhelm them with my massive intellect. 
that was a, that lasted about 12 minutes. Power. Listen, knowing that God has empowered me to do ministry. I, I was thinking about Marty this morning, no kidding. I, I said, Pastor Marty, you know, has been real open about his uh, natural abilities in music and business and how he trained in that area, in music and in business. And he, when he graduated from college, he's preparing to move here to Oklahoma to be a music minister. And then, because you can't pay those guys enough, you've got to be a youth pastor on the side, right? You know, America's heathen. And uh, <clears throat> sorry, any young people, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It's true, but sort of, sort of true. Anyway, back to the story. <clears throat> so Marty, <clears throat> uh, th that's how he's trained. That's what he was doing. He has some abilities. When he was getting ready to leave <clears throat> um, Dayton to come to Oklahoma, if you had a Church of God background, you know, but you probably heard of Doug Oldham, the singer. Doug Oldham, he sang for years in gospel music and stuff like that. Um, his father, Dale Oldham, who talked to Bill Gaither one night and said, Bill... Uh, I had a thought after I got to preaching today about he touched me. And he just kept talking to Bill Gaither about that. He kept talking to Bill Gaither about that. And that's when Bill Gaither wrote the song, He Touched Me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Well, Dale, his dad, Doug, was a great preacher. He preached on the radio. He knew uh, Henrietta Mears, uh, a lot of great Christian leaders. Anyway, when, when, when Marty is getting ready to leave, Marty tells a story that as he's getting ready to leave, Dr. Dale Oldham walks over to him and puts his hand on Marty's shoulder and he says this to Marty. Marty, don't forget to use that preaching gift. Well, it stunned him. Marty, Marty was like, what? I don't know that Marty had ever done anything in the large services, but it worked with the youth. And Dale Oldham saw that in him and said, Marty, don't forget that preaching gift. Of course, you know, he talks all the time how he can't. That's a bunch of baloney. Marty is gifted in power through the Holy Spirit to preach and to lead. And you are too. Maybe not that gift, something else. But in some measure or some way that you are gifted. Now, let me tell you how you can find it real quick. Okay, I'm hurrying. Sort of. Not really. <laughs> Next week, we're supposed to start First John. Dick, Greenland, and I, we got a whole plan for you guys, but we'll see. Uh, I can call Dick and say, hold it. But anyway, here, listen, here, here's, here's how. Okay, number, number one, you can take a spiritual gift test. They're online. A spiritual gift test. Every one of you have a spiritual gift. One at least. A spiritual gift test online. Churchgrowth.org. Churchgrowth.org. I think. Google it. <laughs> one. A, a two... I think it's important at times to kind of find and look in your life and say, where's a hurt or a problem or a difficulty that through the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to overcome it? That might be your ministry. Is there a hurt or a problem or a difficulty that you've overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit? You know you couldn't do that on your own. That might be where it resides. Third, where others may see in you a gift that you don't. Dr. Oldham saw that gift in Marty. And Marty, Marty blew it off like, old, you know, old guy. You know. Marty just blew it off. And then he gets here, and then they start 
having to have him preach, and then the rest is history, right? So, so does someone else, ask your friends, ask someone to say, do you see God using me when I do this, or is there some area in my life that you see God's empowering me? I remember when somebody told me that I was a teacher, I pff, laughed. I graduated 208 out of 288 in high school. I majored in girls and sports. <laughs> My teachers would drop dead if they knew I was a teacher today. Yeah, I didn't have any interest. Not at all. Becky said to me one day, Cliff, you've got to go teach at the university. I think she was tired of hearing my sermons. But uh, <clears throat> she said to me one day, she goes, you are never more alive than when you're teaching. I will say this to you. I believe, that, you know, thoughts and opinions of the teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across community church, it's elders or leadership. I don't think you'll ever be fulfilled until you find the gift and use it that God gave you to use for his glory. I don't think money or a job or vacations can fix that. Until you know, hey, this is why God created me. He wired me up for this. And, it, and you don't know. I'll tell you the other thing real quick. I'm moving on. One other thing I've often said is that knowing how God has gifted you enables you to know what to say yes to and enables you what to say no to. I don't want people just responding to need. need there are all kinds of needs. You know, but, but I know, and you'll know, as you know your spiritual gift, what is it that you need to say yes to? And what is it you need to say no to? You know, Because I know this is how God has equipped me. And listen, I don't think, there's a, I don't think this times out on age. I think you can retire, whatever you want, but I'm telling you, you still have that gift, hopefully with more knowledge and wisdom, to use it. My dad used to say this. He probably stole it somewhere. Preachers do that, you know. He said the church is like a football game where there are 80,000 people desperately need exercise, watching 22 people who need rest. <laughs> <clears throat> Pretty close to it. Most churches in America today, 20% of the congregation does 80% of the work. 20% of the congregation does 80% of the giving. We ought to flip that. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is available, or the minister is in power. Now, what can you overemphasize? One, if you overemphasize this, you get into performance. I am what I do. That's dangerous. You know, I know preachers. Bill's been a preacher, and I've been a preacher, but we both survived that. <laughs> you know I, know, I know when pastors and preachers are teachers. I've told you this. I, I fight this. If I do what I think is a good job of teaching, I feel good. If I do a poor job, I feel bad, right? Why? Because we're operating on performance, see? So when you overemphasize this power dimension, you're going to now get into performance. Or if you underemphasize it, you think it's just personal effort. It's just me. I need to work harder. No, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. If you underemphasize the power dimension of the Holy Spirit, then it's just me and my natural abilities. So I want to ask you to consider, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Can you deploy it? Come talk to me. Talk to someone about this matter. Okay, third. Third, the, 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 whole, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit needs to be balanced is Proclamation. 
Acts 1.8 says, And you will be, after the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now the Greek word for witness here is marturia. We get the word martyr from. And the idea of witness is it's your life. It's your life that gives testimony to this. Although I think there's a struggle here at times. A, a struggle here. That we, that we need to open our mouth in witness, but our life needs to back it up. Now, go to your table of contents. Find First Peter. This is a, a verse that Marty uh, uh, shares with us, and I, and I think it's great. I just want to give you a little context here. First Peter 11.63. This idea of proclamation. First Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> and, and I'll just be honest with you. I, some, of the re- is your turn to, some of the research I'm reading, the culture we're living in today, the emphasis on tolerance has made many people afraid to witness because it makes us sound judgmental. We don't have to be judgmental. But there's a lot of research coming out now that suggests that people don't want to open their mouth and witness because they don't want to be seen as intolerant or judgmental. That's not what witnessing is anyway. Witnessing is saying, here's what Jesus did for me. Here's what Jesus did for me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. You know what? Once I was blind. And now I see. Once I had no purpose for life. And now I have something that can transcend every issue that ever hits me. Health, business, money, you name it. Jesus said he would be with me to the very end. That's, that, that's what witnessing is saying. What has, I had heard Billy Graham say this one time and it bothered me. He said, are we not opening our mouths because Jesus isn't doing anything in our lives? Is that why we're not talking? Is he not doing anything? Is there not saying, you know, this week or last week? I'm just asking. Look what it says here in 1 Peter. I've written something in the margin of my Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you with gentleness and reverence. Notice what's going on here. Suffering, difficulty, and then Peter says, now be ready. When you suffer willingly, when you suffer for doing good, not for doing When you suffer for doing good, be ready to answer, why are you living like this? I wrote in the margin of my Bible, Cliff, does your life call for an explanation? Deborah's kids' lives called for an explanation. That's that, that baseball game, remember? Why are your kids different? You know what that's called? Witnessing. <laughs> See, it says right here, you, you, you know, be ready to give an answer. But the context is not just you're drinking coffee and having a good time. The context is you're struggling. There's difficulty. There's hard times here. You got a bad diagnosis. You got your job messed up. Your family's having trouble. All of that, and yet you have hope. Be ready 
to give an account for the hope that lives within you. Listen, I'm asking God, God, give me a life that demands an explanation. The people have to come and say, hey, tell me why you're this way. That's, that's deep. <laughs> that, that, that's the idea of witnessing being a matter of my life. But let me, let me also say this, though, too, because I've heard this before, and I'm, I'm not trying to be ugly or hateful. Maybe a little bit, but anyway. anyway. <laughs> First of all, Francis of Assisi never said this. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. He did not say that. Did the research on it. Okay? But I know people are saying, and when they say that, they're just saying, let your life shine, right? You know, preach the gospel by your life. We just said that. But listen, if there's anybody whose life shined enough and didn't need to talk, it was Jesus. <laughs> and he spoke. And so our life witnesses not only our life, but our lips. Where the problem is when our life and lips don't match. That's the problem. It's not just live good. That's important. That gives us the platform by which to speak and to share. That's important, that platform. But there has to be at some point a point, this is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus did for me. As I told you before, the Barna research indicates that people are now very resistant to share their faith because they're afraid of being labeled intolerant. I don't think any of us want to be intolerant. I think what we need to be willing to open our mouth up is, this is what Jesus did for me. This is how he lived in my life. This is what... Now, let's look here. We can get overbalanced on this. The overemphasis is that we're just sharing facts. We got the Roman road figured out. You know, we've got the four spiritual laws. We, we know how to share that. It's just a sharing of facts. But the underemphasis is we think example is just enough. I'm just living a good life. It's not. It's not enough. So the question for us would be this. When was the last time you or I gave any verbal witness, not like grabbing somebody by the throat and saying, hey, if you were to die tonight, you know you go to heaven. You know? <laughs> right? I did that. That wasn't that effective. <laughs> it really wasn't. I, I had a people said, I'm fixing to send you to heaven right now. <laughs> I remember going to a, I remember I was crazy. In Houston, I had this crazy period of time where I went into bars to preach. I don't recommend it, okay? Uh, don't recommend it. Went in and man, it was scary, uh, you know, but I was, you know, doing it for Jesus, I thought. But I'm simply saying when appropriate as the opportunity avails to be able to give some kind of witness or testimony. Could we say in the next 30 days, I'm going to open my mouth. Now, you know what? I always told when I was pastor, if that's too frightening for you, do it with your family. Get your lips practicing. <laughs> do it with a family member. Do it with a coworker. Do it with another follower of Jesus. Get used to opening your mouth. <laughs> Us get open our mouth. And then as you have opportunity to begin to share it with others, to say, man, I just had a really good week. I just thank God for his being with me through this process like that. And I just... I want to give honor to Jesus for that. They don't respond. You, that's not your job. Your job is just, my job is to open our mouth. I'll give you the last one. We're going to go. <clears throat> what do you think this fourth one is? 
of the Holy Spirit. Huh? Holiness. Yeah, holiness or purity. Purity. Yeah. Ivory soap, 99.44%. How did they get that? I don't know. I just remember as a kid, it floats. <laughs> that was the greatest thing about that soap. I don't know if it ever got as clean. I don't know if it gave his skin cancer or whatever. You know? But man, it was cool. You know, put it down, come back up, put it down. I, I, I'm just saying, I was a pastor's kid. We didn't have a lot of things for fun. So, you know, it, it tastes terrible. You ate it. Oh, oh, not intentionally. Oh, no. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think my mom used some dial. Yeah. Yeah. Come here. I'm going to watch that. Purity. Let me, let me help you here. Listen, real, real quick, real quick. Purity, um, the idea of purity is not perfection. Don't get those mixed up. Purity is not the same word as perfection. It was fascinating to me when I, when I learned this years ago that one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to integrate my heart. Integrate it. See, purity means unmixed. See, that, that bar of soap, it's 99.44% of it is that ivory soap. For, you know, 56% is something else. We don't know. <clears throat> but it's poison. <laughs> it's, if it was 100, it'd be un, the word pure means to be unmixed. I, I grew up in a tradition that spent a lot of time about purity, meaning perfection. But I've come to understand as, as I realize, and I'll give you these verses, I know we're in a hurry, where, where the, the apostles are, are reporting that, that God had cleansed, purified their hearts by faith. Acts 15, 9. Purify their heart. Listen, what you and I need, what we all need in the ministry of the Holy Spirit is for God to integrate our heart from all the things of work and family and jobs and things to an integrated love for God. I, I, I recommend that book, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, where one affection takes over. It doesn't mean I don't go to work. It doesn't mean I don't worry sometimes. It simply means that, that my heart is integrated because it has a single divine desire to love God with all my heart. See, to have the Holy Spirit do this work, Kierkegaard said purity of heart was this, to will one thing. The Holy Spirit comes there to will one thing. What is it? To bring glory to God. I mean, I may blow it. I may mess up. I may goof up. But inside is this integrated heart that says, one thing I want to do is to bring glory to God and honor to Him. It's not perfection. It's the unmixing. So I'm going to ask you if you would to consider. Listen, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to say, would you integrate my work, my family, my dreams, my desires, my pastimes, my free time, my challenges, my words. Would you integrate all of those into one supreme desire to please you? That's called having your heart purified by faith. And that's the fourth ministry of the Holy Spirit. You ever feel that? There's so many things going on in your heart. 
You just need to say to God, God, I need, I need all of that stuff pulled together in this integrative whole. So this week I'm going to ask you, would you just consider asking God to do that work in your heart, my heart? We would say, God, would you bring all those strands and pieces together with that one single desire to glorify and honor you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we know that you told us, John 16, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't, the Holy Spirit will not come. Here we are standing in the stream of Christian history, of people recognizing, accepting, and affirming that we need your Spirit for both your presence in our life, for power in our life, to proclaim without fear what you've done in our life, and to purify and integrate and bring all of our heart together. We can't do that. Only you can. So we lift our hearts to you and our lives in Jesus' strong name. Amen.